Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, enterprise sales rep turned stand-up comedian turned sales trainer, John Seelig joins the podcast. This is a really interesting conversation. John's unique approach helps founders and their sales teams break through the noise when prospecting by using humor. John shares how to craft effective jokes specifically for your clients and their industries, and it has been highly effective for his clients. We also talk about the parallels between stand-up comedian, there's com, stand-up comedy and sales. What exactly is a joke? Great comedians and founders stick to what works and creating excellent content. If you want to know more about this refreshing take on prospecting, this episode is for you. Enjoy, and now on to the interview. Hey, good morning, John. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Brett. Good to be here. No, no, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. I believe that you will be the first stand-up comedian that I've actually had on the podcast, or at least the one that's that have admitted to it. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. There is a lot of pressure on me at this point. I figured you'd had seven or eight by now and that this would be old hat. But hey, listen, I'm I'm here to break the ice and break the mold, shall we say? No, no pun intended. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's funny, the B2B Founder Podcast, we've got comedians, but, but literally what I like about it is, and we'll get into, well, before I get into it, I'll, I'll get us into a rabbit hole before we make the introduction, but right. why don't you give the audience a little bit of your background, what you're working on, and then we'll, we'll dig in. Yeah, it's a half fallacy, half truth that I am a stand-up comedian, actually sold technology for 12 years, a lot of that time in the Oracle economy done everything from cold calling to inside sales to field sales, selling enterprise technology. I also sold some really Mickey Mouse travel technology because travel was a passion of mine. And I had a whole project in the world of travel and comedy. And that came from the fact that I was really tired of selling enterprise technology. And I started doing stand-up. It was kind of like, I don't know if I really want to talk to CIOs about their you know, data warehousing challenges for the rest of my life. No offense to those who love it and make a great living at Absolutely, it. Absolutely, right. I just knew that I was not meant to be doing that forever. I started doing stand-up. I got very addicted to the process of it. I wouldn't say, I said, I am going to get a Netflix special. I just loved writing stand-up. I loved figuring it out live in front of audiences. I even loved failing occasionally, if you can believe it or not, because the failure would help me understand how to succeed. And I'd practice, I'd rewrite everything. I found myself growing. And, and it was the first thing I was caring about in a very long time because, you know, the worst you can lose in stand-up comedy is a little bit of dignity. It's not as big a deal as you think, whereas in sales, if you bomb, you, you lose your job, right? So stakes didn't seem nearly as high. And in short, I kind of just was doing stand-up for a long time and I was like, I kind of missed money. You know, I became very nostalgic for it. And so I decided to marry my backgrounds of stand-up comedy and sales. And when I was doing stand-up right at the gate, I'm like, this is a sales job. Getting up in front of a room full of strangers whose arms are folded, getting them to buy into me and my ideas, those are two separate concepts on their own, that's a lot to overcome. And I really started to realize there's a ton of parallels between sales and stand-up. I started to watch a lot of bad stand-up comedians and I started to watch why they don't connect with their audience. And I realized it's because they have no clue what the audience wants and they have no clue to sell themselves. And I just started to see all these parallels. And I also realized that, you know what? I'm telling jokes about very niche topics to stand-up comedy audiences. There's no reason why salespeople can't be telling niche jokes to their buyers. 
Yeah, no, I love it. I think it, the, the parallels are, are crazy, right? Because the, the, the bad, and there's air quotes, sales reps don't connect, right? They're just pitching and features and benefits. And, you know, if a stand-up comedian's going that way, just talking about cop, and I'm making up, I'm not a comedian, <laughs> topics <laughs> of the day, right? It's not going to connect, right? So I think at the root of it, it, it makes perfect sense that if you don't know who your buyer is, you don't know who your audience is, you know, you, the chances of you connecting I'd rather not put that to chance and have a plan or a strategy or a process for it. So no, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And something I really came to this realization was when I was selling enterprise technologies to CIOs, let's say in manufacturing, I've never used a data warehouse. I've never built one. I've never used the tools that are used to build it. I've never had the job of a CIO and I've never worked in manufacturing. Yet I'm supposed to call them up out of the blue and tell them how much I'm going to change their life. So most sales reps uh, sell stuff they've never used to people whose jobs they've never had, industries they've never worked. And it makes it really tough to relate. And we have really short windows to relate and connect with people. And a properly crafted, really good joke that shows a lot of understanding and insight can be that connecting tissue. And that's kind of how I help sales teams. Yeah. And I think too, I know you, you focus a lot on sales teams, but I know you work with founders and I think the messaging from marketing makes sense. And, you know, for the audience thinking, all right, I'm a founder, start a founder. I'm thinking about starting a business. Why is this important to me? Well, you kind of mentioned, right? Life sales is life. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if I'm looking at a founder, if I'm looking to raise money, right, how do I connect better with investors or, you know, something we talk about on the show quite a bit is, you know, founders and their passion, you know, have a, I don't say easy time, there's no easy time selling, but an easier time selling into their network with relationships they know and the passion they have for the project or product. But once they try to expand beyond, you know, that network or bring somebody in to help sell or market, you know, it's a, it's a whole different ballgame and a lot of these companies and founders struggle. So that's why I thought, man, what a perfect, you know, I don't want to call it segue, but a, a reason that to have you come on the program and, and, you know, think about it differently than maybe the way they're doing it today. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And it's, it's interesting that you bring them up. I, I have worked some founders with some founders at a couple of uh, incubators here in uh, Canada, full disclosure. I'm not in America, but North of your border. And you know, they all, they, you're right. They often have real passion for their business. So very often they come from a technical background and they've, they've stumbled onto some you know, niche idea that does have market potential. People do see their potential and are willing to invest energy and time into them. But sometimes they lack the communication skills. Sometimes they lack the relatability. And sometimes they flat out you know, lack the, the business background to really articulate why they matter. Like the so what, who cares? Right. right? Like they'll tell you, hey, I've, in I've invented an AI-driven engagement platform that 10x the scalability. And it's like, all right, I, I don't know what that means. Like an investor, that might sound cool to an investor, but at the end of the day, where's the business opportunity? Where's the problem you're solving? Help me understand the market a little bit better. And just even going through the process of writing jokes, forget the jokes themselves. The process of writing jokes is trying to understand your audience's emotions and, and figuring out how to build that connecting tissue to them so that you can switch on, you know, I shouldn't use the word switch, switch on a switch with, 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 your, with your audience either get them laughing or even being afraid of something through a joke, you know, get them loving, hating, uh, tap into their loves, their hates, their fears, their, their wants, their needs through a joke. But even if you don't write the joke, you sort of have to go through the exercise of understanding those emotions and how the problems that you solve 
map to those emotions. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love about that is you're forced to, and we'll get into kind of what your process is for, for doing this without giving away the farm. So people you know, go download your content. But I think if you don't understand who your prospects are and how do you cut through the noise, you know, a joke or humor, and maybe the first thing you should probably clarify is, you know, what is a joke, right? Because you know, we were talking a little bit offline, you know, why the chicken cross the road and you probably have sales managers going, oh my God, no, I don't want them to learn it. But that's not what you're doing. And that's why I think the, it's, it's unique. And what are the other ways you're going to cut through the noise, right? Without humor or jokes, are you going to go super serious? <laughs> Which, so rambling a little bit, but I think you know where I'm going with that is, you know, the best way to think about that when you're tying, well, I'll go back to my original question. What do you define as a joke and, you know, how do you work that in with, you know, founders, sales teams, et cetera? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people, and, and, you know, I appreciate you jarring my memory because this is something I realized I need to clarify a hell of a lot more for people. So shame on me for not knowing my audience and thinking they know what a joke is for the last three years. Look, we all, we're all familiar with street jokes. Like you said, a chicken crossed the road, uh, three members of a particular clergy walk into a particular establishment and, uh, you know, see this. And, and those aren't the kind of jokes that I'm talking about at all. If you watch a stand-up comedian, they have, the moment they get on stage, they have like 20 to 30 seconds to really connect with the audience and really make them laugh. And if they don't do that within the first 20 to 30 seconds, the, audience, the audience's faces will light up, but not because they're having such a great time, because they're on their phones. Right. And just as a hint, we go back to comedy shows, in case you're sitting at home, hiding from the pandemic. When you're at a comedy show and you're on your phone, comedians can see you from the stage on your phone. We know that you just don't care. And are, we die a little bit inside as you're with each, with each tweet. Favorite comedian, right? Pay attention. Yeah, exactly. But coming back to the question, so that comedian has 20 or 30 seconds. We have to be really short and punchy and say something that's relatable to the audience and memorable. And we have to connect with their emotions. And so a good joke is really just, if you look at old school Twitter, it was 140 characters. The best jokes were coming from Twitter because they were super short, super brief, and packed a lot of insight, information, and relatability into them. So a good joke should be like one, set, one, tense, one sentence that's the setup to the joke, and the punchline comes along and, and subverts the expectations of the setup. You know, the listener thinks, oh, they're, they're talking to me about, you know, a new pharmaceutical technology, and then the punchline comes along and either subverts the expectations of, of what they, the point they thought they were going to make. So it should be no more than, you know, setup can be three, two sentences and then a punchline should come along. So in short, a good joke should be really short, really quick to the point and just make a powerful business point. Yeah, no, I love it. And the other thing I'm a huge fan is of the process. And again, I can't claim to be a comedic expert, but I know, right. And you and I have talked a little bit that, you know, joke writing is a process. It's not, Hey, stand up and be funny. Maybe some people are natural and can wing it, but in overall, most comedians, right, go through a process of joke writing and building a set and the whole thing's not too dissimilar from what you're doing with your messaging and, you know, how you connect with, with your prospects. Well, if you've ever sat through, you know, a really good presentation, whether it's from a founder, whether it's from someone at a conference or, or a salesperson going through, let's say, a 30-minute deck and hitting all the marks. When you watch a comedian at a club, 
sure, they might veer off script a little bit to address a heckler or just call out an elephant in the room. But overall, they have a script and they've worked that script to death. They've honed it and refined it. They've tried it and honed it and iterated in comedy open mics, brought it to smaller shows, and then they're doing the bigger stages. And so by the time you see a comedian who's doing a headlining set and they have, let's say, 45 minutes, it's all stuff that they know works. They're not making anything up off the top of their head. And the best comedians never veer off script because people respect them and they're listening and they don't want to heckle them. They don't want to distract them. They just, they're like, they're very into what's happening. And the comedian has just is able to deliver the art that they've performed and great salespeople, you know, should, should really understand their own or great founders really need to know their own script. And I don't mean script in a scripted way, but their own story just as meticulously. Yeah, no, I, I'm a, a big fan. I mean, I think we've seen it, in the, especially in the sales world, right? You could have 100 different sales reps that are doing it in 100 different ways. And each of those 100 have probably 12 different ways that they try to do things. And there's no, you know, I call it the last of the wild, wild west, right? Have a, a structured approach or a process. And again, to your point, not scripted where thank you for calling, but, you know, have something that's going to allow you to connect with, with the audience. If you don't, to your point, on the phone, email, social, you, you may not even have 20 to 30 seconds, right? It's yeah. how do I get some attention? So, so maybe this is a good time to get into, you know, I know you do a lot of workshops, you work one on what, what is the kind of the, the format? And so if, you know, I'm a founder, I'm a sales team, you know, what's, what's the best way to, to think about this, even if they want to DIY it and go through the process, maybe you could kind of share, you know, what's your approach to, to this process? Yeah. I mean, there's books that teach people how to write jokes and you could go buy one and go through it, but you might never write it. You might follow the steps and do all the homework that they require of you. You might never write a funny joke. I always believe that, that joke writing is a, you know, writing jokes and, and understanding that they're funny needs feedback. And so I facilitate, I run and facilitate trainings and workshops where primarily sales teams, I work, I work primarily with sales and marketing teams where they go through bit of a training with me and then I guide them through various steps, get them answering certain questions about who their buyers are, what problems do they solve for their buyers, what can happen if they don't solve the problem, and you know, all the good benefits of, of going with your solution. And then ultimately we massage all that into jokes. I show them how jokes work, I show them how to build out their ideas and flush out their ideas from a creative perspective and, and start to draw some parallels and analogies that are very relatable to listeners. And that's usually done not in a silo, but with other people. So whether it's a small kind of class of anywhere from four to eight people, I can help that way. I can also help larger sales teams with workshops. Yeah, no, and I love it. I highly encourage people and we'll get to, you know, at the end of it where people can check out your content. But if you look at the videos, one of the things that, that, that I took away is one, there's value in with the helping with the opening, creating the joke, connecting. But from a team aspect, there wasn't anybody in those workshops that wasn't having a good time with this thing. So I think there's the dual benefit. Sometimes when you get in training or workshops, yes, it's important. There's good work and there's strategy. And, but this, I think, had the dual benefit of bringing the teams together, even if it's a small team, as well as actually getting you know, value out of you know, what you're going to walk away with you know, to better connect with, with your customers and your prospects. You know, I like working with small groups because it's more intimate and there's more room for everybody to participate. When I work with a, with a sales team of, you know, even more than 10, they do it in breakout groups. I don't want the groups to ever be more than five people 
because that way voices get suppressed and some people dominate. But there's also a, there's an important peer learning component that happens in these breakout groups where they're sharing insights of their buyers and sharing insights of how the problems impact their buyers' lives. And sometimes people have very fixed ideas of why their product or service matters to buyers, but someone else might talk about a completely different use case. And that person was like, oh, I didn't know that. And, and they're, they're swapping information. So there's a knowledge sharing component. Tribal knowledge, I think, is the term that I heard yeah. yesterday. Like. And it's helping just build their understanding of, of buyers, again, even before we hit the creative process. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I know I may be taking us backwards a little bit, but I'm just kind of curious how you put the two together. I mean, I get it from a humor standpoint, but when, when did you start to see, were you writing jokes when you were still what the Oracle or did you say, you know what, this would be a much, I'm able to connect with my audience. You know, this would make sense in the sales process. I'm just kind of curious how you kind of cross those, those two disciplines, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So when, when I was selling Oracle products and services, none of the technology landscape that we see today for sales existed. So it was, it was phone and the audio, email. you know, no, no sequencers, no, no outreach, no, no sales law, none of that. Just send the audio email. We weren't even using MailChimp back then. We're just a lot of phone work and the odd, Hey, I'll, I'll send you some information. I always knew that the moment they picked up the phone, like I went through all kinds of training. I went through Sandler. I went through just all the trainings like spin, who God knows, Oracle, just, they brought them all in. And I just remember they're always, they're always telling you to like get this, you know, do certain steps before you even tell them why you're calling. And I always found that, to be quite honest, customers, when they answer the cold call, would get really annoyed. They just, and I was just like, just get to it. Like, don't even ask them how they're doing. Don't ask them if they have a few moments. Just like, hey, it's John with Oracle. We help procurement managers just like you who are struggling with getting purchase orders out to supply, I, you know, to- Yeah, 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 to, the company uh, to, line. To, Yeah, to their vendors. Sorry, you can, say, you, you can tell that I really don't remember anything about procurement stations, but <laughs> it always comes to mind because it's one of the more boring functions within a large company is procurement. Yeah. So I love the challenge of making something really boring funny. But in short, I realized I don't have time for all this upfront contract stuff. I just need to like, within the first five or six seconds, hit them with like the reason for my call or something related to their job and then obviously kind of move in for the, for the question, is this a problem for you? Are you struggling with this? And so Oracle gives you all these scripts, you know, and I, I'd follow them, but then I just get so bored with them that I'd start to change it up. I'd look at what city they're in or uh, if there was something about their last name. So I, I wasn't writing jokes back then per se in the way that I'm describing currently, but I was always trying to get their attention and be that different cold caller. Yeah. And so when I started doing stand-up, I realized the parallels were there right away. Like, you don't just get up there and tell a long-winded story because I sat through a lot of people getting on stage, telling a four-minute story with like one laugh. And they're hoping for the one big laugh at the end. And like, no one cares. Like, like I told you earlier, yeah. people get out really early if you're not making them laugh. They're at a comedy club. They're not at a storytelling club. They're not at an anecdotes club. You know, they're there to laugh every right. 30 seconds. And so... Again, you can't wait 30 seconds in a cold call to make someone laugh, but, but the structure of writing jokes, which I started to pay more attention to probably about a year and year or two into doing stand-up versus just getting up there and telling something kind of funny. Be funny, uh, just, right. <laughs> yeah, just be funny. I started to really write jokes and I realized a couple of things. Comedy itself is moving 
into a to an uh, an era where comedians can cater to and build niche audiences. So I would get asked to do a show, you know, hey, do you want to do the Star Wars theme show? And I'd be like, well, I'm going to work really hard to write these jokes, and then I'm probably never going to be able to use them again because I, as a guy who's like not pursuing a career in comedy. I'm not going to be doing too many more of these Star Wars shows. Right. So you're asking for a lot of investment for me to try jokes that probably like I, I like I, I put myself at risk too, going up there and not having the timing with the jokes, not knowing my jokes. Cause I did a couple of like, I did a Yo mama joke competition early on. And that was, that's a little different because the jokes can sort of be extrapolated for other reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember doing like a pop culture kind of like game show thing. And I just, I wrote stuff and I didn't remember any of it because it wasn't, I just didn't have a handle on it. And right. I'm like, this is a waste of time. But there's audiences who want to hear about these niche topics. And every prospect that we, that we reach out to is a micro audience. So if I'm calling up vice presidents of procurement and I have a joke that shines a light on a challenge that a lot of vice presidents of procurements have deal, dealt with over their careers, Maybe they're not dealing with it now, but they're going to go, that's funny because it's true. And if they are struggling with it right now, all of a sudden you've triggered them and you are now their new therapist and they want to talk to you because they, you've shown them some insight about their world that no other cold caller has. And you've done it in a way that has been a distraction from their existence. Yeah, no, that's what I love. Right. It is different. Different is better than better. And you still got to be relevant, but now I'm going to put you on the spot and you can tell me, no, I don't. But can you give us an idea or a kind of a sample of what some of these icebreaker jokes that you use without, again, giving away the company or the secret, but I'm just kind of, I think it'd be help the audience understand what, back to our, what's the definition of a joke and actually hear maybe a, a, a sample of what you've helped create. Yeah. Always remember though, that with the jokes I help sales teams write, you know, there's this expression, it's not funny if you have to explain it, but in the case of a <laughs> podcast like this, you have to explain it for it to be funny because they're not meant for anybody but a particular vendor's prospects, their sure. their target persona. So early on, I was actually working not with a founder, but with an SDR, sales development rep at a company, they're called Dynamic Action. And Dynamic Action makes predictive analytics for clothing retailers. Wow. Okay. okay. Very specific, very niche. And what problem do they solve? The problem is that large retailers are building their own predictive analytics tools, right? But they're not in the software business. Right, right. Uh, and, and that would be like if Oracle was opening up a big and tall shop. <laughs> Got it. I'll give you another, another short one. I like working- it. that, but see that? That's the funny of it. And so I think that's the important thing for the audience to take away is, again, back to our point of joke. And again, check out John's content on site. You'll, you'll get a much better sense of it, but it's subtle, but it's funny and it's going to break through the ice. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is because this that's not my, my first nature for me. So I would have to work at incorporating this, but, you know, I see the value of doing it. So... I don't know if you're the, the godfather or the pioneer of this trend, but you know, I'm starting to, I'm the god pioneer. Pioneer. Not we'll call it the OG in a couple of years then once sure. it's <laughs> really picked up. 
Sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm like, yeah, it was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I explained it. If I was just yeah. telling told you the joke, it'd be like, well, I don't get any of it. And that's that would be perfectly fine because it wasn't written for you. It wasn't written for anybody listening unless they are at a clothing retailer, a large, <laughs> unless you have listeners who are CEOs of or, or CIOs at large clothing retailers. But here's a good founder joke. And again, this is all contextual. And it's really personal, this joke, for this, this founder. This guy's company does something super boring. I'm not going to say their name. I mean, <laughs> I could. <laughs> I could. Okay, so, so it's a company called Cinchi. They actually raised some funding recently. They're out of Toronto. And I was speaking with the founder, and we were trying to write it. I was spending like an hour with each founder that I was working with as part of the DMZ's incubator. The DMZ is Ryerson's University's incubator accelerator. And so they brought me in and I worked with founders over the course of a day, just general training kind of stuff. Cause at the end of the day, what I do is part sales training and helping them identify how to position important, relatable reasons for their existence to whether it's investors or customers, what have you. And so it's going through the founders background and, and more his business actually. And I was just like, man, this is a really boring business. This is really technical. In an hour, I don't know if I could do this, but I just said to him, how did you come up with this idea? And I'll just pretend I'm him. I'm just going to hit you with the joke. So I asked him, how'd you come up with this idea? He says, well, I spent 12 years developing enterprise software at a bank and left when the branch manager kicked me out of the lobby. <sighs> and so is it, is it like drop dead funny? Debatably. But at the same time, there was a twist to it. And it's also in the delivery you know, we have these, ex again, a good joke sets up an expectation. Right. So let's say he's, he's pitching for money and, you know, he does a little pitch and, and one of the investors says, how'd you come up with this idea? He says, well, my background is I spent 12 years developing enterprise software in a bank. And what do we think of when we hear developing enterprise software in a bank? We imagine someone in a cubicle at a tower with a bunch of other developers building large systems. And... When we came along and said, but, but left when the branch manager kicked me out of the lobby, <laughs> right. it subverts those expectations and we imagine him sitting in one of those leather chairs waiting for a mortgage officer, you, you know, to come out. And now, because your brain all of a sudden kicks in and go, whoa, wait, that's not what I was, because you can anticipate what's coming next. It's like reading your own copy over and over again, you know what's coming next. And all of a sudden, there's something that puts that little twist in there. That's awesome. So. Yeah. And anybody can do this, right? With a little help, a little coaching. You know, the example I was going to give you, and if you've seen Wedding Crashers, it's an old movie now, but, you know, the sister of the bride was going to do the toast and she wrote this joke that she thought was super funny and the guy was more of the professional joke. I wouldn't do it, right? It's, it's if you have to tell people why it's funny, it's not funny. <laughs> Almost exactly what you're saying. So I, I don't mean to compare you to, to Wedding Crashers, but it keeps bringing me back to that scene and she goes ahead and does it her way and it bombs and then she transitions to the, the simple twist that he had suggested and you know it was a big hit, so. But you bring up a really good point and to answer your question, can anybody write a joke? I'm not gonna claim that absolutely everybody can write a joke. But I do believe that the vast majority of anyone who's in sales can learn how to tell a joke that someone else wrote and tell it repeatedly and make it their own and have it land with impact to build better relationships. I think that like, I think everybody's who's either laughed at a joke, told a joke that they heard uh, from a friend, that they heard a stand-up comedian tell, 
uh, a line from a movie. I think we've all repeated those jokes 100%. to other people. And if there's something that we can own that will help us start more conversations and have better ones with desired audiences, whether they be investors, early stage clients, or you're selling enterprise technology, I think, look, we're, we're all just people and people do enjoy a laugh. And in this era of over bombardment of outreach, we got to stand out and you want your, your buyer or your audience to open up an email, to take a cold call and to say, you know what, you earned it. I'm going to give you some more time because you, you made me laugh and it wasn't frivolous either. It was, it was related to my job. Yeah. And you didn't go straight into the pitch and says, here's what I do and what we do. And now, and that's why I, like I said, I was super excited to get you on the show to talk about this concept because it hasn't been a, I've never heard it before, right? I know people use humor, but then when I, I, I can't even remember where I first came across what you were doing, but then I dug into your work and said, you got to have this guy in the show because, you know, if you're looking for that edge and different, I keep saying different is better than better. And, you know, and again, you want to connect human to human, B to B, whatever it is, right? In this day and age, especially in 2020, anything with a little levity is going to, is going to be well received, right? So you'd be shocked when this pandemic started how there was there were a lot of people like now was not the time for jokes and it's like it's actually it's more than ever a time for jokes because people are scared and people yeah. can't just sit around in their apartments or houses being scared all the time they need to laugh they need a distraction they need that connection more than ever and you know at the end of the day we're all just people and the human condition is we, we all wrestle with the same range of emotions and we also need breaks from the from certain emotions from reality, even though reality doesn't seem like reality sometimes. No, 100% with you on that. Yeah. So definitely want to be respectful of your time. I always end with with two questions. One is, man, what what's next for you? I know Q, we're into Q4 by the time this airs. You know, what are you working on the end of this year and maybe into the early part of next year? Oh my God, there's there's like too much on my plate. A couple of new clients that I'm going to be kicking off over the next couple of months and doing workshops for them. The beauty of the pandemic, if you want to call it that, at least for me, is that now I can do things virtually over time. We don't have to do things like where I fly in and we have four hours. You know, I can customize programs for teams who want to go go at whatever pace they want because I don't believe that great jokes are, or even, you know, articulating who your buyer is happens in short little windows at sales meetings or at, uh, at accelerators for a day. It happens over time. So I've really been able to really deconstruct and reconstruct everything I do to reflect, obviously, you know, this new, I don't like saying normal because you're right. It's not, it's new, totally messed up as I call it. I've really figured out ways to, to offer way more value to clients now doing things over time, letting them think about things in the shower, coming back and doing some, some work in between classes, shall we say there's that eventually I hope to be offering it to individuals. Can't reveal too much right now, but I will be putting something together for individuals to subscribe to what I do and, and kind of get my content, but also participate in live classes where they could vet their ideas and, and get some feedback and doing a lot of live standup for companies if they just want to be entertained. And actually I've raised over $14,000 for nonprofits helping with COVID relief efforts. And you know, the way it works is they, they pay me something, they give a don equal donation to a nonprofit and you know, I just show up and do 20, 30 minutes of jokes. And what else can I tell you? Those are those are the big things. It feels like there's something else I'm missing and just trying to trying to get on radars for the rest of the year in 2021. So it's That's awesome. I didn't realize you did anything. 
that the charity aspect is is so cool and i didn't realize that so yeah check that out and that's more than enough for the next three months and we'll have to have you back on once you launch the solo version of it but all right last question which i ask everybody that's been on the show is what is one thing that you would highly recommend i think people just need to express themselves more and download the information that's in their heads so good comedians carry around little notebooks with them or they use the, the notes app on their phone and whenever good ideas come to us we capture them but i think if sales pros or founders want to relate to their audiences better ultimately forget even through humor they need to just document all their understanding and knowledge in one central repository and all their new learning just capture it all document it all and feel free to to maybe even put some of those thoughts into different buckets and just try to organize your knowledge and thoughts a little bit more because at the end of the day i think that'll make you a stronger presenter and salesperson and it's a good starting point for ultimately transforming all of that into some humor yeah no i love that and i have started doing that a little bit more recently where i do jot things down as i think about it because you come up with a great idea i'll remember that later never remember it later so i, I started using you know, showing the you know bunch of stickies to write it down then i transfer it to notes and ultimately i can work on a better process but i am following your advice in, in getting there so notebooks notebooks are great but here's the hard part about notebooks and really everything else every other medium in which we document stuff, we forget to go back and look at it sometimes. Right. I'm joking myself, I have seven or eight notebooks full of my comedy writings. Every now and then I will pick one up and just, hey, I'll go look at that third notebook and go to the seventh page and see what I was thinking about because those ideas do come back and I can work them into my act. And so maybe those principles can be applied to, to doing business. Yeah, 100%. So. Well, John, thank you very much. This has been awesome. Where is the best place? I obviously encourage folks to go check out your content. It's, it's really good. But where's the best place for folks to connect with you? Obviously LinkedIn and just, hey, hey folks, my name is John, and the H in John is both silent and invisible. <laughs> it's J-O-N, and my last name is S-E-L-I-G. I'm sure it'll be spelt you guys. I'm sure you guys will see my name yep. when you click the link. And of course, my website, johnseelig.com and you want to check out the different ways that I can help johnseelig.com slash offerings has an explainer video 17 takeaways for joke writing and different ways the different formats of, of trainings and workshops I deliver yeah now that we've we've covered the context now I can say I love the tagline of punchlines to build your pipeline man it's <laughs> it makes right. sense so John thank you very much for taking the time I appreciate it like I said I was super excited to have you on I learned something again today and Again, highly encourage folks to, to check out what you're doing. It's, it's different. It's working. Check him out. Thanks, John. Awesome. Thank you. And I hope everybody stays safe, healthy, and far away from me. And here's to 2021. Exactly. Thanks so much. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, John. Thanks. You too.